In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. A lot of things to get into on this short week as the Toronto Argonauts get prepared to face the Ottawa Red Blacks for the second time and maybe get some revenge. We're going to talk about the Elks signing yet another Argos defensive player in Jeff Richards. We're going to talk a little bit about Garrett Marino because I've received a few messages with people asking, should the Argos sign him? The short answer is no. We'll talk about we'll talk about why. Uh, plus, the Argos have a couple of new signings that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. We'll get into those. Plus, we will preview the Ottawa game, go through the injury reports, give you OCDC one thing, predictions, fantasy advice, and our CFL picks. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. How many more former Argos players are available for Chris Jones to take, JB? <laughs> well, uh, I don't know what is going on in Edmonton. They are all over the map. I mean, it, it, he clearly wants guys who know his system, but the guys that are available are not particularly good. So that doesn't outweigh uh, how much they know his system. So I'm not sure what Coach Jones is doing in Edmonton. I thought they were going to be much better, but it's just an 18-wheel truck careening down the highway at this moment. They've got good minutes from some guys. Like, actually, Tristan Deku's playing pretty well, honestly. And... (laughs) <laughs> like Martinez, I, I, I liked him though. I I really liked him. I I thought he, you know, I thought he just got squeezed out of a, out of a great backfield. I I really liked him last year. Yeah, I like Deku as well. I I still like him as a corner, but I know he's really just played halfback, and and that's you know that's sort of considered to be a level up uh, in CFL circles. But uh, yeah, he's actually got some pretty good minutes. He's played fairly well. He's had a couple of unfortunately highlight reel problems. Uh, but yeah, he, but he, so has the rest of Edmonton. Yeah, he had that here too. <laughs> yes, that's true. And then they've and they've also this is offense, but they've they've got pretty good good minutes out of Martez Ivy. He's not partic- playing particularly well, but he is their starting left tackle, which is is sort of uh, unbelievable um, in a way. And yeah, uh, they, it's like Frankenstein's monster out there. I know they have like an arm from this and a leg from <laughs> that, and you're like, what what is this? And I think a lot of it with Coach Jones is not so much, I don't think it's that much like system. I know that's important. I think he's bringing a lot of these guys in because of that. But I think it's like knowing what they're getting into. I think that's a big part of it with him because he is a slightly different style of coach, not an unusual style of coach. You find a lot of guys wired exactly like Chris Jones, but just not everyone is like that. And it takes a certain type of player, like players either love him or hate him, but he's very polarizing for everybody. Fans feel that way. Opposing, I think opposing teams feel that way and his own players feel that way. So I, I think he, he likes to bring in some of these former Toronto guys because they know what kind of coach he is. And if they're happy to go there, then then we've like solved what is maybe one of the bigger problems he's got. It, it's an interesting dilemma for hiring a coach because I do think there are coaches for certain teams right like there there are there are coaches that are great with with building a team up and and creating an environment and and sort of um bringing everyone together i think coach o'Shea is brilliant at that 
And then you have coaches that maybe are not as good at that. I think Coach Jones is more about a team that has talent but needs a kick in the butt as opposed to a team that, that you know, doesn't have that much talent and you're just trying to scrape it together. It's a different skill set being that type of coach. I think both are important, but I, I think Coach Jones is more about, you know, taking a, you know, uh, taking advantage of unused potential more than, okay, well, let's teach the basics of football to this ragtag group and try and put it together. I, that doesn't strike me as Coach Jones at all. We were talking about this a little bit at Argo's practice, just in observing Coach Dinwiddie's style at practice, which is very different from most, I was going to say CFL coaches, but just head coaches in general. Coach Dinwiddie, for the most part, is invisible is the wrong word because I don't mean this. I mean this actually as a, as a positive comment. And if I say invisible, that sounds, there's like a negative connotation to that. But if you watch Argo's practice, it's actually hard to tell who the head coach is. There's no one that jumps out. You would never say, well, that guy's obviously the head coach. There's nobody that you would say that about until the end when they gather together and then Coach Dinwiddie sort of addresses everybody. But I really like that style where, because that's to me what a head coach should be, where he's walking around, he's observing. He'll let the special teams coach do his thing. He'll let the quarterbacks coach do, do this and work on this. He'll let the offensive line coach work on this and do this. And he's just sort of got his, his hand in everything. He's calling plays and you know running things for the for the offense when in, when they get into to twelves and system stuff, but yeah, I kind of like his approach. But that works for a veteran team, a team of experienced guys like Enoch Mwamba and Winton McManus and McLeod Bethel Thompson, guys that don't need to be shown how to practice as a professional. And so his style works. But I wonder if that's his natural style or if he's adapted that because. In his only two years as a head coach, he's had a ton of veterans. So it's interesting, but that contrasts very much because you watched a practice from last year. Uh, once Coach Jones arrived, you would kind of think Coach Jones was the head coach in Toronto, not because he was running things, but just because he was the most, he was the easiest voice to hear uh, on a yeah. group that had some loud and, voices last year. I am not advocating, but 100%, the Argos are a much better fit for Coach Jones than Edmonton. I know Edmonton was the job that was available, but this Argos team is the type of team Coach Jones, um, I think, is built to coach and not, um, you know, the bad news bears. Yeah, and I think that's partly why they're struggling and why there's been so much turnover because he's had to get rid of so many guys where he's like, well, this guy, this guy can't, this guy can't do what I, I want him to do. And he needs veteran players and they've just got, yeah, some veterans, but it's it's so many young guys in there. So it's it's not the ideal situation for him. But I think Coach Dinwiddie also uh, has shown that he works really well with, with veteran players because he, he kind of allows players to, not to dictate things, like it's certainly his practice plan. He's running practice. But players are accountable for their for their own effort, for their like he's not he's not there screaming and hollering at guys and look at me, I'm the coach, do what I say. And there's so many football coaches like that. That's not him. And look, he's not he is not um a soft spoken shy guy. Right. Like he there is no doubt he has that gear in him. He is an intense guy. So this is not a guy who's afraid to to do that so it's clearly uh like a, an intellectual strategic choice uh which you know i think credit to him 
and he and he'll allows he'll allow the fun to go on too. Like we were at practice the other day, and there were, it seemed to be we don't know exactly on this. I want to get confirmation on exactly what was happening. We were trying to figure it out, but it looked very much like the team huddled around a Haggerty versus Haggerty dance off between Josh and John Haggerty. I, I, we need to get confirmation on exactly what was happening there, but they both seemed to take a, a turn dancing at the end of practice, and everybody cheered and loved it. Uh, but like things like that. I can't imagine that happening with Coach Jones in charge. Uh, so there are some differences there too, where Coach Dinwiddie will let you know let the players have fun and enjoy themselves. But when it's time to work, we work, and his record speaks for itself. He's he's been yeah. Successful. I mean, this is kind of a whatever uh, uh, an offshoot um, conversation, but definitely I've I have always been impressed with his coaching plan. Clearly, the coaching staff works together. Because they're all on the same page, they're not looking for somebody to yell out what's next, what's next. Um, they know they know the plan in and out. There's no wasted time. There's nobody on the field, you know, playing grab ass or you know whatever, fooling around, pretending to be the you know they are 100. Which look, I know it's professional football, but definitely that is not how every professional team would practice. And you know, I've always been very impressed with the pace and the speed and the uh, energy of the practices I've watched. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that's, and, uh, just getting back to our original point with, with Jeff Richards and we'll, we'll move on from this topic, but Jeff Richards is, uh, he was, he's, he can still play. We saw it at the end of last year. I was really surprised to see that, that he was available because he contributed in a very positive fashion last year. And so bringing him in, he obviously knows what Coach Jones is all about. Coach Jones knows him well. I expect I expect that will go pretty well. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's only up in Edmonton. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not like we're going to be able to tell if it doesn't. No, it's perfect. Let's talk about Garrett Marino. He was released by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders after yet another questionable hit. And I, I've I've read excuses made on his behalf for this hit. There's just, there's no way. There's just nothing. Like, I, I fully get the idea of if you don't know who has the ball and there's play action or misdirection, then you have to hit everybody involved. That's not what this was. It was it's very clear that the ball is gone and he clearly made a conscious decision to to throw uh Caleros to the to the ground and luckily Caleros didn't seem to be hurt long term uh from that but yeah that was that was pretty brutal and essentially Saskatchewan had no choice but to let him go I do not think any team is going to pick him up and I don't think the Argos should pick him up I don't think anyone should pick him up because not only like football football aside Whoever, if anyone picks them up, their fan base, a lot of their fan base is going to turn against them. Not only because uh, the, the fans are disgusted by what they've seen from the play and the just just the trying to injure people is the issue. But so many quarterbacks on almost every team have spoken out against him and in, in support of the players who have been injured. Uh, you know, Mazzoli, uh, obviously at the top of that list. So... The, there's no team right now that can bring him in. And I don't think anyone wants that headache. <laughs> well, I, I can think of one team that might bring him in. But they won't, though. And you're thinking Edmonton, and a lot of people said, well, you know, Coach Jones on line one, et cetera. But yeah, definitely. He is signing in Edmonton. There is no chance 
it, Coach it Jones happen. doesn't add him to whatever nonsense he's running out there. The reason it won't happen is because of Victor. Like running that show, he you know he oversees everything, and there's there's no chance in my mind. Just the the kind of guy that he is, and the way he's presented himself, and. Edmonton's not a market that can afford to alienate any more fans. They are, you know, they, they have gone from being a jam-packed stadium and the pride of Alberta to, uh, you know, looking like a Toronto Argonauts crowd in a stadium that seats like three times as many as, as BMO Field. It's a bad scene over there. And signing a guy that half of the fans are going to be, at least half of the fans are going to be very disturbed by and other players that are on that team are going to be like, oh, I don't know. Like I've spoken out against this guy. Uh, I just don't think you can. I don't expect any CFL team to to bring him in. And Commissioner Ambrosi today releasing a statement reminding teams of what their obligations are and aren't. This was sort of to me it, it read like a coded message of nobody nobody sign Marino please. And so I just I think that is it. And so to answer those questions, no, the Argonauts should not. Um, bring in Carolina. No, you, you, it's bad karma, and I'm a big believer in that. And the league needs quarterbacks. Guys can go after quarterbacks. Guys can hit quarterbacks. But the league needs quarterbacks. If you don't have a quarterback, the game is almost unwatchable. And he just does not play respectfully. You can play physically, violently. You know, look at Wint McManus. You know, he will crush people but he is not playing disrespectfully and he's not dirty and you just cannot be dirty around quarterbacks they are too important and if this guy can't I mean after suspension and whatever else he still is wired that way like some kind of movie villain um, from the program I agree you just can't have that in your league you can't have guys who disrespect the game that way because the defensive line is there to hit the quarterback. They are not there to hurt the quarterback. That is idiotic, um, you know, prehistoric thinking. So I, I, I'm glad he's out and and should stay out for the good of the league. The Toronto Argonauts have signed two new players. You had a chance to take a look at them both and do a bit of a write-up. Uh, so running back Adam Cofield, Stone Cofield, uh, who has some Argo ties, and uh, def- probably who's going to be a defensive end, uh, Ali Fayed, who uh, I guess played as a sort of like an edge rusher, linebacker, tweener. But I, I think in the CFL, he's pretty clearly going to be a defensive end. Uh, what can you tell us about these two guys? Let's start with the running back, Adam Cofield. What uh, what do you see on him? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think they need to, you know, we've been talking about, they definitely need more depth at running back, you know, just to practice, <laughs> you know, just be able to run drills. You're going to need three or four running backs. You can't have one guy running drills. So I would imagine there's probably another running back to be signed as well, uh, if only for practice. Um, he he is, he, you know, he, he played um, mainly um, the level below Div 1, and then he played one season Div 1. He had pretty good stats. Uh, Western Kentucky was a pretty good squad and, and had... Uh, Bailey Zappi, who who was drafted into the NFL, so you know there were, you know, they were a program that that was creating talent. His measurements are not uh, overwhelming, you know, like in terms of his his forty is only five uh, is four seven, and he's not 
you know, I, he's not particularly strong or particularly big, but he certainly all signs seem to be that he's highly intelligent, um, great at pass blocking, picking up the blitz, uh, somebody who can maybe give you eight to 10 carries to give Olette a breather. So he's in the mix, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he played, to be honest, in the game. It, it feels more like a, like a, you know, a program pick to, to have at, at practice. Um, but I do think the defensive end is somebody who could really be special. Uh, his measurables are are much better, kind of jump off at you. He is a pure pass rusher. You, you know, I think he played in a 4-3 outside rush, and that's what he's there for. Uh, if you brought him in to to give you that, you know, as kind of a backup to Ray, who, you know, is going to give you, you know, you just need two or three great rushes. You don't need to rush all game, but... In that third quarter, fourth quarter, you come off the bench and you have a step that they're not ready for. I think he could potentially be that. You know, I think that, you know, he got a little bit of time uh, with the Eagles and they have a very good off uh, defensive line. So it's not surprising he wasn't able to crack that. But he was Mac Defensive Player of the Year. Mac's pretty good conference. Um, his film looks good. Like he looks. He looks good. He looks like he could be a real weapon. So I, I'm excited about that signing. Especially the way that Barlow's been playing. That positional group is suddenly uh, a, a real strength. Not that it ever wasn't really this season, but it's going to be a pretty competitive group. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't have a lot of guys like Ray, right? They don't have a lot of pure speed rushers. So I think he brings something that they don't have in abundance. So I am excited to see how that first step translates to the CFL. Is this game against Ottawa as big as these past two games have been against Hamilton? And the reason I'm asking this is because I I feel like these last two games against Hamilton, you lose one of these and the season changes entirely. The Argos were able to win the last two and now they're somewhat comfortable out in front. Does that make this less of a crucial game or is there a fear now that maybe Ottawa with a win would be right back in the mix too and now there's one extra team to worry about it's a it's a very weird quirk in the schedule because they play Ottawa and then both teams have a bye and then they play Ottawa again (laughs) and both games are in Ottawa so it's it's an away and away like who who designed that yeah, well, it's not like it's the first quirk in the schedule this season. No, um, I no, I don't, I don't think so. Obviously, it's nice to win every game, and and I, that's a danger. It's a short week, you know. Obviously, coming down from the high of winning on Labor Day, and you know, being on the cover of the Sun, and you know, the sports section, and all of that. Th- there was never a game set up more to be a trap game, but I can't believe that they don't have the bad taste in their mouth of losing to Ottawa to keep them focused. But if they don't win, I I don't think it's, I don't, I I don't think it's a a huge game. Yeah. The the one nice thing about this, because I would see this as a game I was very concerned about because Ottawa played pretty well last week. They looked like a much different team last week. They put up a ton of points and to be able to do that, not like Montreal's defense isn't good, but 38 points uh, is is a lot of points. Arbuckle was was walking them up and down the field. The defense has been good all year. 
the thing that makes me more comfortable is that just knowing the way that game prep works and film study works, that one of the most important pieces of film, uh, when the when the offense especially uh, gets to studying, obviously they're going to be looking at the Montreal game last week, but they're also going to be looking at their own matchup. Well, what did they do against us last time? And they're just going to be reminded again and again all week as to how Ottawa took them to the cleaners and how embarrassing that was at home to lose against what was then a winless Ottawa team. So even though it's coming off a huge Labor Day win, this would typically be a trap game. It's really not because of that. Now, had had Ottawa lost in the first game at BMO, then I would be really nervous coming into this one. But I just don't think anyone's taking this lightly. No, and like from a conference point of view, it definitely would be great to win. But Montreal's probably going to lose to BC. Hamilton's probably going to lose to Winnipeg. Uh, Ottawa has a lot of ground to make up. They just have to split this Ottawa series to to keep a pace of their you know of their lead. Yeah, I, I just think they're I think they're both winnable games. And as much as I do like revenge games, typically I love the revenge game, and we'll get into that a little bit when we get to our fantasy picks for this week. I, I just don't think, even with a revenge game, I I just feel like this is a. Arbuckle obviously is going to, you know, want absolutely want to destroy the Argonauts. Anybody would, uh, even if it weren't just in the interest of your own career. It's just, you know, how it works, how human beings are wired. But there's nobody, nobody in the CFL that knows Arbuckle as well as Coach Dinwiddie. And that's the good and the bad. And I feel like if any team can get ready for Nick Arbuckle, it's a team head coached uh, by Coach Dinwiddie. So, that part of it too makes me feel a, a, just a little bit more comfortable. Let's get into the injury situation. Uh, so the Red Blacks are a day ahead basically on the schedule with an extra rest day in there. They're a, a day ahead in terms of practicing. So we have a much better idea as to what they're going to put out there compared to what Toronto's going to put out there. It's a very healthy looking Ottawa Red Blacks team. I was thinking for a little while that Darwin Adams may not go. Uh, he did get the day off Tuesday uh, for an ankle injury, but uh, that seemed to just be exactly that, a veteran day off, and he's back to full practice today. The only guy that didn't practice full uh, today was Sherrod Baltimore, who also missed last week's game against Montreal. Sherrod Baltimore is a, a corner I like a lot. He's been playing field corner for Baltimore for several years now, and he's been a bright spot on what otherwise has been a, a pretty terrible team for the most part. Uh, but his play I do like, and I think there are some opportunities there. I don't expect him with a hamstring injury, missing last week, having a couple days already into this week with no practices. I don't think he's going to go. But uh, Lorenzo Malden is, is back to practicing full. Yukabri uh, Williams is, is practicing full. Everyone else that's on their injury report I think is going to go. For Toronto, uh, it's not quite as, as positive. Uh, there are some concerns. We didn't get a practice from, from Joe Carbone, but Declan Cross was out there actually getting some work in, limited. But that makes me think, just the fact that he's out there testing out that ankle makes me think that we're going to see Declan Cross this week. And so the Argos can finally dress a fullback. Now that said, they haven't dressed a fullback in two games and they're 2-0 they're without fullbacks. But you just can't, you can't sustain that. It's It's ridiculous to go out there with two total guys in the backfield. So I, I, I would love to see Declan Cross back. He, and he's such a good special teamer as well. 
Going down the list, uh, Justin Lawrence is a, that's a bit of a red flag when you see any offensive lineman on the list, but this is the knee injury that he sustained in the first quarter, actually on that first touchdown pass to Marquita Ambles, uh, Justin Lawrence was injured and it looked really bad. The way that they were looking at him, I thought, well, that's it. Justin Lawrence is, he's going to be out for at least this game, if, if not longer. And lo and behold, he was back on the field in the Argos very next possession. So I think that's this is the same injury we're talking about here. I think it's really going to bother him. It's obviously, you know, it's obviously it's an injury. It's serious, but I think he's going to be able to play. So he's limited today. He might be limited all week, but I think he's going to uh, give it a go come game day. And guys that aren't, though, I, I don't think we're going to see Javon Leak. He didn't practice today with the hamstring injury. Robert Priester uh, still not practicing. I kind of feel like he should have been put on the, the sixth game at this point. And, you know, otherwise... I think we're going to pretty much get everybody, you know, everybody that that played last week, I think is going to play again. Just, I I did get a couple questions on what's the difference between the six game and the one game. Like what, what does it matter? If you're on the six game injury list, your salary does not count against the salary cap. So if you can put a guy in the six game injury list, it's better if you do that. If you don't put them on the six game injury list, then it, it means quite seriously that you think they're going to be injured for far less time than that and so with guys like Declan Cross and Joe Carbone and Javon Leak, Robert Priester these guys not being on the six game injury list suggests that they should be coming back soon and those fullbacks we've been without for a few games now so you would expect uh, at least Declan Cross to play this week but it does make you wonder did they maybe miscalculate uh, something with Robert Priester if he's not going to be able to go again this week All right, JB, it is time for your favorite segment of the show, OCDC. Let's start it up with you, JB. You are the defensive coordinator for the Ottawa Red Blacks. How are you stopping this machine that is the Toronto Argonauts offense? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to play tight man coverage. I'm going to cover Olette coming out of the backfield. No easy passes, no easy checkdowns. Um, looking to um, challenge McLeod to throw the ball deep. Want to take away the middle of the field. Want to take away the seam and keep him off balance because he 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 is a quarterback who can who can really do damage when he is feeling a rhythm. I'm not worried about the running game again. I'm coming out with the DB heavy uh, defensive lineup. I think that with a let. You can take care of that with your with your line and your backers. Uh, I'm definitely trying to crowd the uh, crowd the hash marks and and really look to to push up the middle uh, against McLeod because he he tends to sky it a little when he can't step into the ball and and a lot of his interceptions are that are not not bad reads per se but he just puts a little too much air under the ball and. It's either tipped or it goes over the receiver. So I'm, I'm hoping to get that from McLeod to really kind of push the middle of that pocket and, and not let him step into the ball. So you don't think you would go with just the same plan that because remember Ottawa's the one that came up with the formula for how to slow down the Argonauts. They were the first team yeah, this year. I think part I think parts of it for sure. I think the tight man definitely. Uh, Ottawa's got a pretty good defensive line, especially if uh, Malden is is a hundred percent, but. Any team is going to, you know, Toronto will be watching film all week. 
So your exact same game plan is, is not going to work. But I think the the tenet of it is still there, that you're looking man coverage, you're looking to take that away. But also I'm going to mix in um, I'm going to mix in some zone and and challenge that middle of the field and really see if he can hit the deep out. If you can hit the deep out, which he can, but it's a low percentage play, and that that's what I'm I'm counting on. On the offensive side of the ball for the Ottawa Redblacks, uh, my my game is going to be uh, pretty simple, and that's trying to go off of all of Nick Arbuckle's tendencies. He's got some. He's got some very clear tendencies like we documented last season. Uh, he loves to throw to the right, does not love to throw to the left so much. I want to try and reverse all this. They've got to work this week because they have to know that everything is going to be uh, shaded to the right, that they're looking for that, that they're they're trying to take that stuff away. I also think the Argos are going to be anticipating a lot of a lot of stuff underneath. Arbuckle throws, he likes to throw short. He likes to, there's a lot of stuff that happens behind the line of scrimmage. He doesn't really go downfield a lot. Now, now, funny enough, the game against Montreal last week, he was doing some stuff that we haven't really seen him do before. But I think ultimately against a better defense, which the Argonauts clearly are, you are going to have to go back to the things you do well. Uh, but I think you have to avoid uh, some of the tendencies that you've set. So I would really f- fool around with formation. I would I would like to, assuming Darwin Adams can go, which I think he's going to be able to, I'd like to get him as much as I can on the left side and combine he and Acklin, which you don't really see them do a lot. They've got Acklin playing X. Uh, Darvin Adams has been playing the Y spot, but you can motion, you can motion anyone around. Lapolis can put those guys wherever they want to. And I would love to pair Adams and Acklin on the left side. And I think that's really going to catch Toronto off guard. And I think whatever plan coach Mace has coming into this game is probably going to be thwarted a little bit by having, what is that? I would think you're your two best receivers uh, on the left side where you're not really thinking a lot of action is going to happen. So that that's one. And I've been preaching this a lot this year, and I haven't got it a lot. I think in the run game, I would really work draw plays. You see it time and time again with CFL teams where the linebackers will take their read steps and then really bail out. And we saw that last week. Like, Wendell McManus played a great game. But the reason he was able to tip both of those passes that were intercepted by Jamal Peters is because he was bailing out really early. And linebackers typically do because you don't see a lot of draw plays in the CFL. So that's something that I would bring in as the Ottawa offensive coordinator. All right, moving to the good guys, JB. What is your defensive game plan for the Toronto Argonauts? Well, I think we're just going to line up um, on the right and uh, and see what happens. Um Look, Arbuckle is a good quarterback when he is feeling it. That's why they traded for him. He showed that against Montreal. He he, he reminds me of Dane Evans. Um, he is not somebody to to overlook. He, but in that Montreal game, his his passing percentage was still you know like sixty five. He can be rattled. You can get to him with blitzes. Um, I'm I'm daring him to throw the ball deep. He wants to throw seams. He wants to throw posts. Uh, he is not looking to challenge you down the field as much. Uh, I'm going to play when we're zone. We're going to crash that underneath stuff. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, I'd love to have, um, you know, man coverage on Acklin and then safety help over the top or even robber help 
uh, on Acklin. I would double Acklin. And from a defensive point of view, I'm bringing more heat than I have. I know the Argos have not brought a lot of heat and have not been a sack-heavy team. But if ever they were going to empty the book, this would be it for me. Um, I would throw everything they have at them. I don't think they're expecting a big pass rush. You have to be smart because he'll run. You can't get downfield. You can't. You can't get past the quarterback. You got to maintain your. You got to maintain your edges. But I'm. I'm. You know, linebacker blitzing, secondary blitzing. Uh, I think this is a week to to bring a lot of heat, especially when you didn't against Hamilton, and uh, that looks to be something that you don't really believe in. I. I. I want because if he's comfortable, he can pick you apart. I mean, I think he is. Um, a quarterback with limits on him, but he can he can be a problem if he starts feeling it and you give him time to to pick his his targets because he'll hit them. He he can be he can be a, a starting quarterback in this league. So I, I want to rush him, want to get on top of him, want to crowd that middle of the field. And you know if he can throw a forty yard bomb, you know so be it. And if he's going to roll out, he's not going to roll out right. You know that right. You've got to make sure if he's rolling out, he's rolling out to the left. In terms of the Argonauts' offense, my plan this week—it sounds—it sounds like desperation, but I, I really think where Ottawa is most vulnerable is go routes along the sideline. I think you can pick on these corners with Baltimore down. I—I I don't love. Um, their their cornerbacks. I, I think Ottawa's defense is really good. I think their defensive line is excellent. I think it's going to be really hard to run the ball. And I think you're going to have to pass first. And I, I really think deep shots are the way. And you don't have to hit every single one. But they need to score on a couple of these. I would really go downfield early. And I think Coxie and, and Bethel Thompson have uh, started uh, to develop a little bit of a rapport. I wouldn't mind seeing go routes from Daniels too. I know I keep trying to get him on the outside. You got to find a way to get him, uh, like somehow get him out there or isolate him in your quad set. He's really good at back shoulders. He's not great at just like, you know, flying off the line. That's not really his his style of game, but he's great at that back shoulder pass. And that's something that we haven't really seen them do too much this season. So I, I would see some of those deep shots. I also think this is a great time to bring out double moves. They didn't run any I don't think in the last game against Ottawa they did run a lot of short stuff some of that was because they were sort of forced into it uh, because of the amount of pressure that that Ottawa was generating but if they can get time if they can find a way to slow down well you know Malden's a problem but Lang has been uh, a huge problem too if they can slow down these guys and they have enough time for double moves I really want to see that and I think once that starts opening things up once that defensive line also gets a little bit more tired now is when you can start running i do think their linebackers can be taken advantage of a little bit they're good but but it's the defensive line that's the issue so i think you've got to exhaust them pass rush pass rush pass rush don't get home um bombs all day long double moves and then you start pounding them with the running game once everyone's tired out a little bit that's my plan yeah i i like it um, uh what I'm not saying, you know, no game is a game you can just give up. But if ever there were one um, heading into a bye week, if ever there were a time to take out of the garage a couple things and to put it on film and to see, hey, you know, can we do this? This is a thing we're not very good at. Can we do it? This is the game. You know, you you go into this game, you get a week off, then you play Ottawa again in Ottawa. I would I would be as experimental 
as you could possibly be in a game that you're still hoping to win uh, heading into the bye. I think you want to look at what you haven't done, what you haven't really been able to do, what you would like to be able to do, and really get some good film on why you're not able to do it. I I think because it, I, I don't think it's a huge deal if you lose the game. Of course, you want to win every game, but if ever there were time for, for tape to really get a sense of what's working and what's not, uh, this is the one. So I I expect to see a lot of, or not expect, I'd love to see a lot of different looks uh, from the offense and from the defense. My one thing this week is a difficult one. I want to see the Argonauts have a better return yard average on punts <laughs> than Ottawa. That is a lot to ask because I'm asking for two different units to uh, really achieve beyond all expectations. Ottawa is so good at return blocking. And I think for, for listeners, I really encourage you to watch on, on punts, especially kickoffs too, but watch on punts the difference between what we've been seeing, what you've the football you've been watching all year, where the Argos punt returner catches the ball, looks up and there are three guys standing there perfectly fanned out waiting to tackle him uh, two or three yards later and then compare that to what you see Ottawa do where whoever it is back there catches the ball and there's like 15 yards of space in front of him and a side that's like got nobody on it it's it's just so different and the thing is with the lack of running backs that the Argos have been dressing, they've been able to field such strong special teamers. They have so many guys that last game, especially that were dressed that are really pure special teams guys. Like we're not just talking about like Hadel and in the return team, but you know, guys like, like Josh Haggerty and, and like Kassar and Adam Boboye has turned into a really nice special teams contributor. They've got so many great gunners, guys that get downfield but they haven't been able to show it on the other side of the ball in creating some space, some room for punt returners. So that's the goal this week. If the Argonauts can end up with better punt return average than Ottawa, they win this game. That's my one thing. <laughs> yeah, all right. Um, I'm running out of one things, to be honest, because the Argos have been very good at achieving every one thing I've asked for. So that's really been fun to watch. Uh, if my one thing going along with my kitchen sink strategy for putting on film, I want to see four sacks. Uh, the Argos are still in the bottom of the league for team sacks. I want to see four sacks from the defense. That's too many sacks. That's not going to happen. They just nope. don't send like I know in your game I know plan. They, that they, might... Exactly. They don't but they will. Okay, we'll see. Well, that's a pretty bold one thing, and they're going to have to send pressure to do that. And I just don't know if I see them doing that in back-to-back games. But like you said in your OCDC segment, it makes sense too. So maybe, maybe. I think Toronto wins this game. I think it's going to be super tight, and I don't think it's going to be a particularly high-scoring one. I think the Argonauts win 20-18. to 18. How do you see this one finishing? Um... I want, I mean, part of me is worried about a letdown, short week. It's it's an ask. Ottawa is feeling good. They probably are feeling the best that they have. They've already beaten us once. They are going to come out and play very confident ball. But uh, Ottawa at home is terrible. And it will take a bad first quarter to turn that Ottawa crowd into, much like the Hamilton crowd, 
um, voracious hyenas who are looking to tear apart their team. So I think Ottawa, Toronto's going to come out and have a good first quarter, and I see them uh, winning the game 24-14. Toronto having a good first quarter is a pretty bold prediction in itself this season. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Ottawa just can't play it like Edmonton. They just are terrible at home. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna bank on that. It's time for our world famous fantasy advice. We we struggled this week. We came away with a win in our league, but only just barely. And uh, second week in a row. Uh, I think yeah, dynastic well, is the only word for our team. Yeah, our record is good, but our our points scored these last two weeks. We need it. <laughs> we need to bounce back. So apologies if we're letting down your fantasy team. We think we've got a pretty good one this week. Although our strategy revolved around who we had at quarterback. And this was tough. We ended up, we've ended up fielding Nick Arbuckle at quarterback. And we had some psychological issues with this, some emotional issues with this. We had McLeod Bethel-Thompson at one point as our quarterback, but he's like $2,000 more. And who else did we go with there at one point? I think we, oh, we looked at, at Vernon Adams, uh, but even he's over $1,000 more than than Nick Arbuckle. And you don't even know for sure, like how that's going to look. He's been in that offense for two weeks. I know he's got all those weapons. Look, if you want to go that way, if you have trouble putting Red Blacks on your team, I totally get it. Then I would recommend Vernon Adams if he's going to get the start. And I, I think he's at least going to, I do think he's going to be playing the majority of the snaps. And if not there, then then I think you can go with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. I think his numbers are going to be decent, but you're paying a lot more for it. Now, what Nick Arbuckle allowed us to do is we could load up with one outstanding running back and one outstanding receiver. So our outstanding running back, Kadeem Carey, who did really well for us last week. And we're going to pair him with Frankie Hickson, who, again, for a $4,000 player is a fantastic deal. Kadeem Carey, you're paying over $9,000 for, but that's what having Nick Arbuckle allows us to sort of splurge on. In terms of receivers, Brian Burnham, $8,400. That is a big cost. But again, I think I think BC might have a big game in Montreal, and, and he's a weapon. And then we got to save a bit of money with our second receiver, uh, Demonte Coxey, who for 2,500 is a steal. He continues to be, he's just, he's not putting up massive numbers and he's not going to this week as well, but he's good for like eight to 12 points. And I think when you're spending the minimum salary on that, that's, that's great. And then we can splurge a little bit with our flex. Darrell Walker for under 5,000. He comes in at 4,985. Lawler's out for Edmonton. He is the guy. And we saw that last week in Calgary where it just looked like every pass was targeting Darrell Walker because Cornelius just didn't have that many options. So I think that's pretty good value. And then we splurge a little bit with defense. We're going with the Toronto Argonauts just to kind of fly in the face of our quarterback pick, Nick Arbuckle, the Argonauts 3,862. That's our fantasy team. I feel, I feel okay about it. I think. (laughs) Yeah. Look, we went to the store and ground beef was one quarter the price. And so we bought five pounds. Onto our picks. You had a pretty good week last week, JB. Look at you, three and one I, last look, week. I called it. I called it moving week, and it was. Yeah, I I was two and two, uh, three and one for you. Uh, so you gained a little bit of ground. Uh, let's let's put the pressure on you first this week. <laughs> BC at Montreal. Are you a believer in the BC Lions with Vernon Adams potentially at the helm? Yeah, I look. I was on board with Montreal seeming impenetrable fortress, but. 
then Ottawa blew the doors off them. So I don't think that's a thing anymore. Uh, I I like BC for sure to to come in and revenge game. Pretty healthy Lions. This is their season. Um, not on the line, but I mean, the question everybody wants to know is like, is this team now done? I think those guys feel a lot of pride and and don't want the feeling of, well, Rourke is gone, so let's just flush the team down. So I I like BC to win this. I'm also going BC. I am the believer in revenge games, uh, and yeah, this is this is the perfect one for Vernon Adams. And just knowing, like, I, I'm actually excited to listen to some of the Montreal. Uh, podcast after this game if BC does win because it's just so it's so entertaining and not to like I don't wish anything bad for the the flight deck guys those guys are awesome I love listening to their podcast um, but I just know the way that's going to start off if somehow Vernon Adams comes in there and tears them apart that's going to be entertaining listening uh, for sure so yeah I've got BC the Toronto Ottawa game we've both picked Toronto Saskatchewan at Winnipeg uh, where are you going to go with this one I I I had this wrong last week. I picked Saskatchewan. I feel like I was burned a little bit. Um, are are you going with Winnipeg again? <laughs> Winnipeg is a team that makes you want to punch, you know, yourself in the face and then punch the wall if you're an opposing team. Ask Calgary. <laughs> yeah, they know. They just play perfect football, and they demand it of you. And can you do it for four quarters? Can you not make a bad coaching decision? Can you not fumble? Can you not make a mistake? And that's what they demand of teams, and nobody's up for it. I know Saskatchewan wants to win this game so badly, but so did Calgary, and they still lost. I I think Winnipeg wins again at home, and Saskatchewan punches the walls of their airplane. Yeah, I'm done picking against Winnipeg again for the second time this year. I've, I've said that. Uh, they just, yeah, like you said, they don't make mistakes. And, and Saskatchewan played pretty mistake-free last week. But then suddenly Duke Williams gets a bench penalty late in the game, and, and which could have been the, the winning field goal for them. Instead, it's a bench penalty. Winnipeg doesn't make the mistake. They win the game. So, yeah, I'm picking Winnipeg. And then Calgary-Edmonton. Uh, this this just goes with one of my rules, uh, which is do not pick Edmonton when they're at home. And so, yeah, this is this is sort of picked for me. Um, I'm taking Calgary. What about you? <laughs> yeah, this would be a huge upset. Edmonton at home to beat Calgary. I mean, ugh. part of me wants to pick it because this could be their Super Bowl. This is this one game could redeem their whole season. They're at home. Calgary is definitely looking past that game. Uh, they beat the brakes off them last week. They're not a very good team. Calgary has the Lions coming up. Tough to beat a team two weeks in a row. I'm taking your Elks of Edmonton. Excellent. Well, that's going to be our only different pick of the week. I'm excited that you have taken the Edmonton Elks at home because then I don't have to and I can increase my lead. No, this is it. I feel it. This is put put your money, take it out of your RSPs, put it down on the Elks. Do not do any of those things, <laughs> please, listener. Well, that would just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Hope you enjoy the game Saturday. It's a Saturday CFL triple header. Don't forget, it's an early kickoff, 2 p.m. start. 
For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe.